And I kind of have this thing. I really like the word best. Like to me, you want to be the best. You want to get the best results. Mm -hmm. So, so when do you release it? We'll release it on the day that will give you the best results. When should you tour in the month that you'll get the best results? This is when people actually go out to live music the most. That's when I should be touring. And so often they're making decisions based on what's available to them or not, not necessarily planning out for the best results. And I try to go for the results first and work backwards. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm going to share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're going to show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, excited to be here today with Daryl Hurst. Daryl is the managing director for Downtown Music in Canada. He has a 25 plus year history in the music industry, which is almost as long as I've been alive. So that in and of itself is really <laughs> impressive. He is the founder of Indie Week Canada, which is one of Canada's top indie artist conferences that um, really is, sort of sounds like a indie Canadian version of South by Southwest, which is awesome. And it's a total, they used to do it live in person, but now they've, they do a ton more and they do it virtually online. So you can ex access it anywhere around the world, which is amazing. He uh, leads the Canadian operations for music companies like Song Trust, Fuga, Adrev, Foundy, and CD Baby. And if that wasn't enough, he's also done branding and marketing work for Live Nation and artists like U2, Nickelback, Madonna, Beyonce, Jay-Z, and Dave Matthews. So bottom line, Daryl's awesome. And I'm um, excited to have him here today to be able to geek out and talk a little bit about time management and optimization for artists, because yeah, I mean, coming from someone who has done all of all of that, um, I think it's really important to, to know how to manage your time and your energy and your resources and maximize them. So Daryl, that was kind of a long intro, but thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. And uh, thanks for such a great intro. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People probably, not everyone's going to be watching like the video version of this, but like I was telling Daryl uh, beforehand, I've got a newborn baby of a, of a couple of months. And so sleep is a little bit crazy right now. So every once in a while, I might have to just like pick, pick, pick up the energy. Yeah. Um, Love it. Love it. <laughs> all right. So Daryl, for anyone here who uh, hasn't uh, met you or connected with you before, maybe you can start out by you just introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your story and how, how you, you got to where you're at right now. Sure. As with almost everybody started off as like a musician, I actually went to college on songwriting and performance and all that kind of stuff in Edmonton. Uh, but Edmonton isn't quite the music capital of Canada. So I moved to Toronto and I was always like the business person in the band. And so I went from being a musician to then I started booking venues and promoting shows, managing artists, launched Indie Week. And then parallel to that, I had taken a quick desktop publishing course to learn how to do graphics, which I was really just trying to do my own CD covers and posters, but I started getting hired and freelancing and I've been literally self-employed ever since. And yes, one of my clients led up to uh, Live Nation and I worked with them for about eight, nine years. And during that time, worked on assets for a lot of artists, but also events and launched VIPNation.com and actually rebranded the company, did the whole corporate design. 
And so all this is parallel to each other. And then launching Indie Week, that started taking off. And we've during that time, we've done Indie Week in Canada, in Ireland, and UK. But now we do four online conferences a year. We do a weekly session every Tuesday. We've got a podcast that comes out every Thursday. And uh, we've done mentorships focusing on education. And we're launching an export program as well. So yes, very, very many plates spinning at the same time. <laughs> Which is great because it really sets up the scene nicely for the kind of the topic and, and what we want to focus on here, which is all about you know, time management, optimization, and really like how do you arrange your day and your year and track your progress so that you can accomplish everything that, that you want to accomplish as an artist. So what would you say having you know 25 plus years in the music industry now, it's probably pretty fascinating just like seeing how much it's changed you know, in the last 25 years with like you know, the internet as is like in this revolution right now. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it seems like on the surface, a lot of things change all the time. And then there's the same fundamentals and the same principles that don't really change very often. So I'd be curious from um, your point of view, having connected with so many artists now and, and helped them during your conferences and, and throughout the, the you know, coaching that, that you've done, what are some of the biggest, you know, challenges or mistakes that you see artists making when it comes to, you know, really their own scheduling, their own time and their calendars and, and being productive and saying, how much time do we have? Well, th there's, there's lots. And, and to be honest, the first part is I see a lot of artists don't have a true plan. And if so, it's not 12 months, it's only a couple months, maybe, or a couple weeks even. And, and really you got to be looking 12 to 24 months out. And I can't tell you the number of times, even working on, you know, the CD Baby downtown side, artists were like, got a song done. Can we get it out next week? And I'm like, is there any marketing to support it? Do you have somebody waiting to hear it? Because if you just recorded it and are putting it out, there's probably not going to be anyone waiting. They don't even know about it. So, so a lot of times I'm just feeling uh, a lot of artists don't have a roadmap to follow. And Without a plan, it's really also very easy to get distracted by what they think is an opportunity and it takes them off of their journey and that may waste a bit of time and then they're still trying to get caught up on their own thing. Yeah, it's, you got to have a roadmap, you got to have a plan 12 to 24 months and stick to it. That's the reality. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is that one of the biggest mistakes is just not really having a, a plan or a map in the first place. You know, if you're trying to go on a cross country trip and you don't have a map, then the odds of you like getting to that destination are very, very small, you know, versus if you actually have a map or like a, something that's telling you how to go from point A to point B. Yeah. Well, they, they, most of them don't have a, a plan. And, and it's like, if I went to, I always kind of use this as an example, but like Marvel Universe movies actually are pretty successful when they come out because you know it's coming. You could literally go to the Marvel Universe website and know what movies are coming out in the next four to five years. They, they've got just a poster of a logo and the date. Sometimes they don't even have the working title. They don't know the director. They don't have a story, but they, they know the date, the deadline for it to come out, period. Mm -hmm. and, and so they've got something to work towards where I find artists are releasing music kind of randomly oh we're done let's put it out not what's the best time of year to put out on what's what's the best day best time to put it out how much lead-up time do you have are you touring to support it is the music coming out to support a tour or a show maximize all your your options and i think that 
they're missing out on a lot in terms of converting online fans to in-person fans and in-person fans to online fans, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And the first thing that comes up um, as, as you're sharing that is one, like how important and how valuable the planning process has been like in my own life, for our band, for our business. I know like the yearly planning and the quarterly planning, like if we didn't do that, then nothing would happen. We'd be like squirrels, like running around. So I know how, how important it is. And I also know how challenging it can be for a lot of people who might be listening or watching this right now, who it almost feels like there's so many things to do and there's not enough time already. And so it's like, it almost feels like the idea of like zooming out when they have already these things like every day that they've kind of like scheduled, it feels kind of like challenging to kind of get that view. So what would your recommendation be for anyone like that sort of feels like, I don't even know where to start with this. Like, I know I should be doing deep dive planning kind of like zooming out, but like, do you have any like recommendations for like a process for how frequently should they do this and how they can kind of like block this off in their calendar? Yeah. Once a year, plan a year. It's that simple. It, it, like I try to simplify things because there is so, so much going on, but think of it like this. Sorry. Where, where are you located again? I can't remember. I'm in uh, Orlando, Florida. Right. So there is a hockey team in Florida, for instance, in the NHL, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Tampa Bay lightning. I think they won the last, last year. Yeah. And is it Florida Panthers as well? So, so here's the thing. I talk hockey because in Canada hockey's our thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you think of it in Toronto, the Toronto Maple Leafs play where the same place every time. So it's easy to promote because it's the same place. Mm-hmm. Right. They also have an off season. So this is when they are not playing. So if I went to a friend and said, hey, let's go to the Leafs game in July, they'd be like, what? There is no Leafs game in July. There, there's no hockey every year. So I try to relate it to sports because they do the same every year, period. Off season, training camp, tryouts, preseason, season, playoffs, Stanley Cup finals, off season. Every year it's the same. Now, when you have a routine like that, you can actually get better. So if you think of it, X number of teams, and they're all trying to be number one and be the champion, just like music, you're trying to get to the top. Most of them won't get there and they try again next year. Off season, they strategize, maybe make some trades, fire the coach, do whatever it takes. And then they go for it again throughout the year, but they, they can start going, where were we last year at this time? Are we up 10%? Are we up 20%? Or are we down? If you have no routine type plan, you can't tell, am I doing better or am I doing worse? And I think a lot of musicians don't know that. So constantly have this sort of mental health of, I'm not doing enough. And am I here or not? I don't know. And that can distract from actually executing the plan. So By having the same type of routine every year, same type of schedule, and you can break it down into, this is when I write songs, this is when I record songs, this is when I promote or book everything, this is when I tour, and you do this cycle, same time, you actually get better at it, just like sports, right? So they're getting better at it, and they get better at preparing for playoffs, they get better at strategizing, how to win in the playoffs. And by being there, they get experience for next year. And, and I think where music business for most artists, it's just built on random. And, and 
where am I? And should I be doing more? And, and, you know, I talked about the distractors. If you've got a plan, this is when I play shows. This is when I don't play shows. Often you'll get an offer. Hey, could you play this show? And ours goes, sure. Now they've just been completely taken off their business plan. They're playing a show that isn't in the plan. It's random. Who really benefits is the person asking them to play the show, not the artists themselves usually. And, and so it's a way to also start deflecting things on going, nope, that's not part of my plan. And it will distract me from my success in building on what I'm planning. And I think that that's really important to identify as well. So in a nutshell, think of sports. They're, they've got a season. They're all going for the championship. And then they just regroup and try it again next. Super smart. Yeah. So, so it sounds like what, what you're saying is that it's really important to build a routine, right? So kind of figure out what is the time you're going to block off every year to be able to do your yearly planning and zoom out, kind of look at those things. And maybe for, for anyone who's maybe listening or watching this right now, they, they're like, oh crap, I don't have a yearly plan. I don't know what I'm doing this year. Would yeah. you recommend they like block off a week and just do it? Or like, or, what would your, your thoughts be there? Yeah. Well, well, it's it, for us, I'm, I'm basing in Canada, which would be very similar in the States. States is a little different, but like, when's the best time to tour? When's, when's the best time to promote? That's when you do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of have this thing. I really like the word best. Like to me, you want to be the best. You want to get the best results. Mm-hmm. So, so when do you release it? We'll release it on the day that will give you the best results. When should you tour? In the month that you'll get the best results. And often people aren't considering it that way. They're just like, when can I? And when is my available? And when's this going to happen? Like, it's, it's not like, hmm, you know what? The most during this month, this is when people actually go out to live music the most. That's when I should be touring. And so often they're making it, making decisions based on what's available to them or not, not necessarily planning out for the best results. And I try to go for the results first and work backwards. So just to give you a prime example, you mentioned South by before. March every year, period. It doesn't go to November, it's in March every year. So that festival has a plan on how that works to make sure it can happen in March every year successfully. Now, if an artist was going to go to South by March every year, they should plan. So are they touring to get there? Do they need to get a grant and funding to get there? Do they need to get sponsors to get there? Should they release music before they get there or after they get there? That's kind of like an anchor point in the year if an artist is planning to go there. Now, so many times I talk to artists and like, oh, we weren't sure. Well, okay. And then should we release? And I don't know. And and they've already missed a deadline for a funding grant application or they haven't booked shows ahead of time. And, and so that's stuff that could be planned months in advance and get the best results, right? So it's, it's something, again, 12 months ahead. And I could kind of give you a quick snapshot of what I think is a good blueprint, mm. uh, which might yeah. help everybody. For sure. So typically, if you're not like really well-known artist, summer, not a great time to tour, mm. right? In Toronto, for instance, any summer date, Pearl Jam might be playing down the street. There's a food truck festival that's on the street free. There's an open air concert free. Most people go to the cottage. 
the lake, patios, not a dark bar to see an indie band. So that's the best time to write and record. So mm -hmm. June, July, write, record, August, finish recordings, September, October, November, schools are in, which means a lot of students with loans and money and go out. That's the time to tour, September, October, November. December, you finish mix mastering and polishing the recording you did in August because you might have played those songs and polished them live, might make adjustments. January is when you figure out your whole year in terms of when to do shows, when to release, take photos for your promo, create all your promo assets. February, start releasing a single. March, maybe April. Uh, March, April, May, that's the best time to tour in the... And then you just start the whole process of creation again. If you release in the spring, you've got the spring tour season, March, April, May. And then you've got the fall season. So you've got two tours to promote what was released in the spring. Mm -hmm. And what you're hoping is get momentum off the first tour, reviews, socials, more fans. So you come back in the fall with more momentum. And, and so this is just simply a way that you just keep going. And it allows you to start going, I write songs during these months. And I know you get inspiration throughout the year, but if you at least have that sort of framework, this is what I'm gonna write and record. It allows you to focus on marketing the rest of the year. And I think everybody's trying to go, I gotta write, I gotta record, I gotta produce, I gotta release, I gotta do socials, I gotta, and it ends up being too much throughout the entire year. So it's a way to compartmentalize each of those components. And for the artists I've worked with, it's been very successful. Mm. That's super valuable. Yeah, I think just being able to kind of have that in place for a lot of people and, and you could literally like rewind and just like listen to that to have every, all the components that you really need to, to think about mapped it over the year so thank, thanks for sharing that that's awesome even if it's yeah just like you know taking that as as a model and and looking at like doing some in, inward look looking and seeing like wow how can i kind of map out our plans based on that right um, and if i could add to it though because there's mm -hmm. all like there's timelines that are external mm -hmm. when are grant deadlines when are the awards like for instance, here we have the Junos in Canada. If you release at a certain time, you're actually not eligible for the Junos. So mm -hmm. what's, what's the eligibility period for you to release? Yeah, so, and then conferences and festivals that you want to attend, you kind of need that all in the calendar and that also influences your planning. So yeah, it's, it's so important to have that and you keep track of everything. And then when you're sort of ending the year, you look at what happened and then you go, what worked? Let's repeat that. It's easier when you start repeating. And then the things that don't work, that's where you make the modifications. And you'll start going, wow, you know what? Out of all our shows, 60% worked, 40% didn't. Let's modify those. And so you're repeating the 60%. So you're actually starting the year with a higher level of success because you know it works. And then you're getting rid of what doesn't work or you're modifying it. And, and slowly after two to four years, it's just repeat and it's actually getting better and better and better uh, every year. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast so I can tell you about a free special offer that we're doing right now exclusively for our podcast listeners. So if you get a ton of value from the show, but you want to take your music career to the next level, connect with a community of driven musicians and connect with the music mentors directly that we have on this podcast, 
Or if you just wanna know the best way to market your music and grow an audience right now, then this is gonna be perfect for you. So right now we're offering a free two week trial to our Music Mentor coaching program. And if you sign up in the show notes below, you're gonna get access to our entire Music Mentor content vault for free. The vault's organized into four different content pillars. The first being the music, then the artist, the fans, and last but not least, the business. When you sign up, you'll unlock our best in-depth masterclasses from a network of world-class musicians and industry experts on the most cutting-edge strategies right now for growing your music business. On top of that, you'll get access to our weekly live masterminds where our highest level modern musician coaches teach you exactly what they're doing to make an income and an impact with their music. Then once a month, we're gonna have our Music Mentor Spotlight Series. And that's where we're gonna bring on some of the world's biggest and best artist coaches and successful musicians to teach you what's working right now. And one of the most amazing parts is that you can get your questions answered live by these top level music mentors. So a lot of the people that you hear right here on the podcast are there live interacting with you personally. So imagine being able to connect with them directly. On top of all that, you'll get access to our private music mentor community. And this is definitely one of my favorite parts of Music Mentor and, and maybe the most valuable is that you're gonna have this, this community where you can network with other artists and link up, collaborate, ask questions, get support, and discuss everything related to your music career. So if you're curious and you wanna take advantage of the free trial, then go click on the link in the show notes right now and you can sign up for free. Uh, from there, you can check out all of the amazing content, uh, connect with the community, and sign up for the live masterclasses that happen every week. This is a gift for listening to our podcast, supporting the show. Um, so don't miss it out. Go sign up for free now and uh, let's get back to our interview. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. What, what it kind of reminds me of is like the like calibration, right? So almost as a calibration where you're reviewing and you're saying what worked, you know, what didn't work and using that to kind of re re aim. And it does seem like that's where there's like such a huge leverage point is in like the cycles and the routines that you're talking about. It's like when you kind of revisit and you, and then you can recalibrate, you can see, okay, what, what worked, what didn't work and keep doing what works and stop doing what doesn't work. What do you think? Yeah. Like, like, biggest, like, okay. Sorry, if I could just add to that, because yeah, uh, this is how quick it happens. With one artist I was working with, January, we just picked up the phone. And, you know, best, I say best, we would work at the best venue in Toronto for them. So it's only one venue they played. Hmm. And when that you build that relationship, like, oh, that band, they, they sell out every time. Our bar sales are great. They say yes to everything. Hmm. And so one phone call, I would literally be, I want February 24th, April 6th. June 4th, October, December. And in one phone call, I had the entire year booked. Wow. So then you get time back, right? Now I'm not scrambling to book throughout the year and stuff. Now we've got all our anchor dates for one city, mm. right? And we knew that they were going to be successful. So now we looked at what's our next market, Montreal, so we did research, found a band that sells out every show in Montreal, and we called them. Do you want sold out shows in Toronto? We'll do a swap. We have all these dates booked. Can you book a date around them? Mm -hmm. So now we've got somebody else working in Montreal, and they take care of all the work of booking the shows. And we know they're going to be sold out because we're doing a trade, and we've got the stats saying these will be sold out. And so now we enter a new market, large crowds, and in two phone calls four calls we were able to get basically entire year booked in two cities and not a lot of work so then you go what do we fill in the gaps are we going to go on tour and 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 that starts getting easier because you've got more time to concentrate on the stuff that's going to be harder to work with so that's a big part of the time management side of it 
That's super smart. Yeah. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is that a, a big part of that planning process is making sure that you map out those quote unquote anchor anchor dates and really kind of figure out what are those big, most important kind of rocks that you, that you can set in place. And even if you need to adapt or kind of work around some things, like, like you mentioned with Marvel, like two or three years ahead of time, they might not know all of the full details of exactly like what's going to happen, but they've got that anchor date set in place. And that's something that's going to be like a signpost that's going to guide them as they, as they can approach that. Absolutely. And one big thing that I find artists really miss out in promotions is not having their next show booked. So for instance, here we are, we've got the band on stage, it's a packed house and they aren't able to go, oh, our next show is, and they give the date to the people who are already there, who've already proven they come to the show, who love the band, will come back. There's a lot of times when you're playing, oh, we don't know yet. That crowd leaves the room and it's going to be real hard to reach each and every single one of them. So you want to be able to promote to your room when your next show is. You don't say it before that, but you, you tell them while they're in the room. And you know what? You never know. They might be posting it to social and doing some of the marketing for you. So, so that's a huge opportunity that's missed. I see it all the time. That's, I mean, that's definitely a right, right downer for anyone who's, you know, play, playing live shows is, is being able to, I mean, what it reminds me of is, you know, I, I, I used to be the music. I used to tour full time and I was gone most of the year. And when I started my family and I had three kids, I was got to do for a lifestyle change. So now I'm more of like the coach, you know, like a hockey player right. who becomes a coach. But for me, you know, I attend conferences now that are about, you know, being able to coach and help other, other artists and build, build the business. And one thing that that one that I just attended did was exactly what you're talking about, where they had the conference. And then at the end, they literally had a sign up form and they went around and it was so smart. And they you know, were able to fill up you know, more than half the spots for the next year's event just right away because they had the foresight to actually book the dates and just ask people who were already there, hey, like you know, we can give you a special opportunity if you you know, get your ticket now for next year. That's super smart. You, you got you to gotta learn how to convert the people that are already engaging with you so that, that they keep coming back and, and, and trying to get that trajectory of growth of an audience is that's how you get your base audience. And then you're like, how do we elevate that? How do we double that number? Because otherwise you're just sort of shooting in the dark. You know, one artist I worked with, they were very smart. They would have on screens on the sides of the stage, video clips throughout the show. And then near the end, they'd be like, that phone number on that screen, text it and we'll send you free music, mm. right? What that meant is, oh, actually next time we're having a show, we're gonna text you. And so they had all, every, like about 80% of the people, like their phone numbers, they actually had all their phone numbers mm. and anytime tickets were on sale or pre-sale or new music, mm. that text message went directly to that person's phone. Mm. And, and the, they're opting in because they're the ones texting first. Mm. So that was huge. Yeah. Gosh, that's, that's such a valuable nugget right there. Just as an idea, because all the people who are at the show, like those are like the best, you know, the best quality fans people who actually care and they come out and they're proven that they are because they're at the show. It kind of ties in with one thing that uh, I'm not sure if uh, when you talked with our uh, partner, partner, uh, manager Ari, if he talked about this idea or not, but I needed like pull, pull in the reins because I could totally geek out and like ramble on too much about this. But sure. we're um, getting ready to launch a music NFT platform in about a month and a half. 
And one of the ideas for the types of like music NFTs, and this could be on any platform, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be on, on the one that, that we're building, but to do like a, a show type of NFT, that's maybe it's like a replay of each live show. And you might have only a hundred collectibles that are available. You could kind of limit it and you could do one for every single show that you play and maybe do something similar where on stage, you take a, a selfie, a picture with the whole crowd and you say, Hey, we're actually going to like put this into the music NFT. How many of you guys would be interested in getting one of these? There's only X amount available. And they're like, ah, we want it. And like, awesome. You know, it's going to be like, you got to be ready. Like, you know, pull out your phone right now. If, if you're like, this is going to be a race to the finish. So like there's only a hundred of these available. There's like 500 people here and you could almost do like a race and, and have them text on the number and the first hundred people, you know, get the collectible and then kind of a similar thing. Like you still have the ability to communicate and, and when you're playing a show nearby, that's what I love about it too, with, with the strategy you just shared was, is that when you get the, the phone numbers of everyone that's in the crowd, you also know what show they came out to and like locations. So when you're going to play a show at that specific city, you can directly reach out to them as opposed to just, you know, blindly posting on social media somewhere. So it's just, just brilliant. And right. I'm going to cut myself off there with like the music NFT stuff because I can totally geek out. Well, well, they, 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 like I said, they were just so brilliant in, in how they executed that. And, you know, I could sort of share that at South, but I don't work with that artist. haven't worked with that artist for a number of years. They actually got some higher level management, but basically in a new incarnation of that artist, they opened for Dolly Parton, who Dolly released NFTs at that show. I've got a mm -hmm. Dolly Parton NFT. So yeah, so anywhere you can do the live engagement, and with all this digital activity, there's data that's taking place. Like they might not know me specifically at times, but they know ah, X number of people in this area engaged with. Let's go do a show there because we know enough people are engaging. So, so as long as you can also track your data and, and have access to it and certain metrics that will tell you when to book shows, where to book shows, what size of capacity rooms you should book shows so that you can always sell out. And I'm, I'm such a huge advocate of don't play a show unless you can sell it out and sell out just means capacity crowd. Cause you can do a lot of guest lists, but no matter what, don't play a show unless you can fill the room yourself. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I would go out the, on a limb and some people disagree with me on it, but, never open for anybody else that's a waste of time usually hmm. that is a pretty i mean i don't know if controversial is the right word but that's that's a i i think it's it's a fair fair point in terms of just like people who attend the show very rarely like care that much or like really pay attention to the opening band i mean with our band one of our biggest opportunities was opening for a band called all time low and this is when we were starting out from scratch and they had you know millions of fans and so that was like a huge opportunity for us but really only because I mean, one of the biggest reasons that was really valuable was because we were going out and meeting every single fan in line before the show and like introducing ourselves and connecting with them personally. So they actually cared about the opening band. But if it wasn't for that, I, I have seen a ton of artists who've done opening shows and it hasn't been worth, you know, their, their time or effort or a buy-on opportunity because, you know, they didn't really have the connection or people didn't really know who they were or care that much about them. Well, the, the way I look at it is, you could start with a room that holds only 50 people, but if it's full, that's 50 really happy people. Mm. And they'll probably tell somebody. And 
if you play a room that holds 500 people and only 150 people are in, they're not excited and they're probably not going to tell anybody. And, and so to fast track growth, and this has literally worked for almost every band I've worked with, never play a show that's not sold out. But also if you're the one that has the name at the top and it's capacity crowd all the time, you very quickly get to be known as that's the band that always has sold out shows. And, and people are like, how do you get a manager? They'll find you if you're the one with sold out shows. How do you get a booking agent? They'll find you if you're the one with sold out shows. Yeah, right. That's true. And, and so again, part of that fast track is if you start having these capacity crowds, then you start leveraging for guarantees from the bar because often it's a door deal at the start with indie artists, but that's how you can start moving towards that guarantee. And then as well, you get to be able to start negotiating sponsorships for your shows. And then, so like I would get a beer sponsor, a liquor sponsor for these shows. And then now it's a totally different look. It's like, now we're the band that always is a capacity crowd. We've got X brands on top, giving us stuff. Now it's an event. Oh, you're the best band in the city, in the market, or one of the top. Now we're on the promoter's hit list. And, and so that's where we can start working things and it gets it's you could do it in like three to six months right so again i work with trajectory and like i don't want five-year plan i'd rather have 12 month plan 12 24 month plan to kind of go from here to here so so by doing that one band literally that i worked with they moved here they not didn't know one person their first show was capacity at 200 and after three shows a booking agent approached them and was able to do two North American tours really quickly. So that's what I mean. As far as the trajectory goes, you need to be able to start taking credit for things in your market. Cause if you, if you're the opening act, you never get the credit. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of the biggest things It holds you back. Cause if anything, you're bringing people. So the headliner band gets better credit off of your people. And their people probably aren't watching your artists. They're probably not sticking around or showing up early. And, you know, if opening for other artists was such a great business plan, then all artists are successful because they're all doing it. And, and when I've had some pushback from an artist, like, oh, no, no. But I'm like, cool. Okay. Well, tell me who opened for Bon Jovi last year then. So do you know the answer yourself? I, I couldn't even tell you when, like where and when Bon Jovi toured, but I mean, I would have to, if I looked it up, I probably would, rec I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah. But this is my point is nobody knows. I'd be like, cool. If you don't know that one who opened for, I don't know, Foo Fighters last tour mm. and people often can't give me an answer and who opened for Elton John and they have to look it up. Yes. <laughs> and that's cheating. <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah. Like, like who would open for Elton John? Yeah. I, I, I think that totally makes sense. It's just a different ball game of like opening versus headliner. And for, I mean, for good reason, right? Like the, the reason the headliner is the headliner is because they're probably drawing the majority of the crowd and the opening band generally isn't going to. Also the fact is then usually for that type of show, you're doing a buy on. So you're out of pocket right away. Right. So, and we did, we had an artist that did a buy on in the UK. It was pretty substantial and they figured they played to quarter million people in 13 dates or so. 
Mm. And they're like, oh, we'll make it back in merch. Nope, did yeah. not. Yikes. Right? So, yeah. so there you are paying to be there. Then you're paying all the travel fees and all the costs of getting all your crew and everything everywhere. Yes. Uh, and, and yeah, often you won't see the return. I'm just, from my point of view is yes, that can work, but it's a longer build. Whereas if you just focus on your own, it's actually faster trajectory in 12 to 24 months. And so you kind of get here to here much faster as opposed to being the opener, very low percentage of conversion of their fans to your fans. The expense of it, meaning to get that fan is higher cost as opposed to it's your own show. So yeah, and that's where time and money and effort can be, your, your time and your money can be placed better elsewhere to get yeah. better results for yourself. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I, I can definitely um, appreciate that, is that it, just from, from my like personal experience, like having had that opportunity to open for all time low, I know it was like a total game changer for us. And, but I also think that you bring up a really valid point that's, and it's also worth considering like the opportunity costs. Like, you know, if you did have to, you know, if you have to do a buy on tour or, you know, like you're not, I mean, for us too, I, I do think part of the reason that particularly like it worked in our case was because we hustled our butts off and met every single person line for the shows. We literally, we, we made more money meeting people before the shows selling CDs than we made at the merch table by far. Um, well, well, there you go. You, you did the, what wasn't the norm. Most bands don't do what you guys did. Sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there was one thing I was going to say, a band to think about who really did not open for anybody and showed a fast trajectory is Imagine Dragons. Mm. So if you look up their history, they didn't open for anybody. Wow. And it was kind of like, whoa, where did these guys come from? Mm. And went from here to here really quickly. So I was at South by where they played. And then they were on Jay Leno literally a week later in Toronto. They came, they played at, I believe it was Phoenix, which, or Opera House, about 800 people. Then they came and they played at Sound Academy, which is more like 2,000, 5,000 people. And then they played the ACC, which is more like 16 to 20,000 people. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, So so that's the thing is, is like, I'm talking about trajectory, like mm -hmm. fast, get to a higher level real quick, you know, having that plan, here's my 12 months, we get better each year, really focused on our career and, and getting rid of all distractors. You actually get better results a lot faster. That, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And, and one th- one point that, that I want to reiterate that, that you made, cause I, I know it, it kind of clicked for me at a, at a certain point, but it's not necessarily like everyone, everyone knows this is that like the difference between playing a 200 cap room that's sold out versus playing like a, you know, a thousand cap room to like 600 people, you know, like on the surface, you'd be like, yeah, it's way better to play the 600 cap room or the, the thousand cap room to 600 people. There's like 600 people there, but there really, like, there's just a huge difference just in the overall vibe of the show. And it just feels way less impressive. Like it feels way less comp- impressive to play a 600 person show to a thousand cap room than like a totally sold out to the brim 300 cap room. Right. Um, so I think that point that you made of like, you know, the trajectory and really like aiming to sell out every single show and actually like, you know, make, even making a capacity room a little bit smaller than you could, that you could sell the tickets for just for that extra effect of like, this is going to sell out, right? There's like a psychology to that, that I think is really important. Oh yeah. Well, one artist I worked with 
they would play at a place called the Horseshoe Tavern, which holds 450 people. They themselves would bring 150 other bands. It might be 50 to 75 more people. Half full, not impressive, mm. right? To their fans, I can always get in. I could show up late. There's just no anything. So I literally took them from there when I started working with them and we played a room that held 45 people max. And it was funny. It was like also like January, February is cold and it was in the back room. And it's the only time I've had a bar owner come to me and say, cause I was holding the line a little bit. I was like, you know, play that game a little, Oh, it's 10, 10 Oh five. I know doors are supposed to open at 10, but you know, but the, the owner came and said, can you open the doors? Cause your line is interfering with our bar sales, mm-hmm. which I've never heard, but it was like packed and rammed. And we basically let people in and we sold out as fast as we could let people in. And there's still people that couldn't come in. And they're like, could we come in if people leave? Maybe, absolutely. And we, so we had people that stayed for two, over two hours until the band played, standing against the wall, waiting. And some of them stayed having their pint of beer. They could only hear it. They couldn't see it. But they created demand where everybody's like, when's their next show? I got to get tickets. And, and we booked a room that holds 150 people. So that's their people. And we had two openers. Two openers brought about 25, 50 people each. So we sold that out within one hour mm-hmm. and had a lineup and people couldn't get in. And then, so that was February, March. And then we did our CD release April at that same room that held 150. And we sold that out in an hour. And everybody who got a ticket got a CD. And people were buying two to four CDs because other people couldn't come in. So they were buying CDs for them. So they basically made 2,500 bucks in that. So we went from a not important show kind of atmosphere at a larger room to we sold out and, and prepped it so that CD release party was going to be very successful. Yeah, that's that's super smart. And and maybe we can talk a little bit more about the psychology of why, why you think that's important to like to have the demand, right? And to kind of and it's it's interesting too, because it applies to applies to, I mean, any like market dynamic, right? Like with my wife, she's into Posh Peanut, which is just like baby baby clothing brand. And it's so funny. They do these drops where it's like they have a limited number of these drops and they do them regularly and they sell out instantly. And then all the moms are like, oh, like, you know, I missed it. And oh, can you like, can you attend it for me and like buy this for me? And they're like at a secondary market where they're like trading their posh peanut baby clothing with each other. And for musicians, you know, I, th- I think like the live show element, you can have that demand. And it's really interesting with music NFTs now. I think that that's one thing to consider in terms of the strategy is like always, you know, you know, creating the right amount so that there is real demand and there's real scarcity and it's going to sell out. What, what, what's your take on, on that? And why do you think that that's, that's the way it works? Well, the one thing is the music business has always been kind of, if I can just be blunt, a shit show. And there's always been us versus them, artists versus industry and all this. What it comes down to is it's a percentage business. That's how the model is based on. Booking agents get a percentage, managers get a percentage, record labels get a percentage, publishing is a percentage. And so that percentage is only worth something if demand is built. And when demand is built, that means you can actually increase the rate. So you could actually sell fewer things, but at a much higher price and make much more money. So that's what you, tr- what 
all these kind of tactics are is about trying to build demand so that yes, we know we're going to sell. We've got the stats to prove we're going to sell. So that, that helps get confidence in that percentage model if you're going to be an agent, a manager, and so on. So you're also trying to prove that so that industry takes an interest in you. Often people are like, can we get signed? How do I get a manager? That's a big part. But when it comes to fans, it's about fan engagement. And they got to be excited. They have to be like, wow, this, that was amazing because you want them to come back and spend their money again. And, and that's your bread and butter is your fan. So if they can come anytime, walk in 15 minutes late, there's no lineup, there's tons of room, there's no excitement. When you're in a packed room and everyone's taking photos, sharing videos, photos together, they get to meet the band, they want the autographs, they take photos, that's exciting. And they want to come back. So then you start thinking, what's the value of that fan? And I've actually got this calculator spreadsheet that I've worked out where, okay, an artist wants to make $100,000 a year. How many fans does it take to make that? How many things do you have to sell to them? And what price points can you sell to them to make $100,000? And numbers don't lie and you work it out. It's much easier if you get that one person that's going to come to say three shows and spend $20 at each show and possibly an upsell somewhere. Then you start going, oh, I actually don't need as many people as I thought to get to that $100,000, right? And I think when people don't think of the economics and break it down, it's so random throughout the entire year that they can't actually make a projection to be, we will actually get there at that mm. point. And mm. so, so a lot of times I've worked with artists where we've broken down numbers, but that becomes part of that whole 12 month plan. And we know where we'll be when we get to the end of it. And if we're not, we know where to go. So it all ties in together. <laughs> yeah, that, that's all that makes sense. And it's, and it's super smart too. Like, you know, I, I think just in, in economics in general, you know, it's like supply and demand. Like that's all, all it is. But one, one thing I want to kind of add here, because I think probably for a lot of the people who are listening to this right now as a musician, you know, their, their first, like the reason they became a musician wasn't because they thought like, how can I make as much money as possible? I know I'm going to be exactly, a musician. Exactly, exactly. Right? <laughs> Me too. So, I'm included. I'm included. <laughs> I want to play guitar. <laughs> and so I want to speak to the person in the room who who might sort of be feel, like feeling uncomfortable with the, like even the conversation we're having about like, you know, making more money and, you know, the value of, of a fan. And, and I want to kind of point out this, this other like angle to this, which I think is really important, which is that you're doing a disservice to your fans. If you don't, you know, you think about this, what's more valuable for your fans, having that experience where, like you mentioned, they're in an empty room and it's not very exciting. They can lounge in and it's like, is that going to be more valuable to them? Or is it going to be way more valuable for them to have this amazing, exciting experience in the room that's packed and be able you know, to, to have that excitement, that energy. Right. And, you know, I think that one thing that can kind of limit artists a lot is, is worrying that by focusing on making more money or, or focusing on, you know, the economics and kind of figuring out how to increase the value that they're somehow, uh, I don't know, deceiving or manipulating or, or like, you know, that they don't want to come across as, as greedy, but, you know, I, I just want to point out that I, I know that you think this way already, but everything that we're talking about right here about increasing, you know, the value um, of fans, like this is really 
that for like it's a win-win for everyone like this is like creating a better more valuable experience for the fan themselves too and all the different offers and things you can add the upsells there's all ways for you to provide the best possible experience for your fans and you're doing yourself and your fans a disservice if you don't think about this stuff and think about how can i provide more value because all of this the money that comes in you can put it in your music you invest it, you can reach more people so i just wanted to, to point that out quick yeah, well, well, it's an important thing to understand from a fan's point of view. They want to support the artist. They want to have that shirt. They, they, they want these collectibles. They, this is the whole premise of music over years is I want to buy their CD back in the day or their album or their cassette because they wanted that music. And, and shirts and people keep ticket stubs as mementos and all this kind of stuff. That's part of the fan experience. Now, as an artist, you want to be able to have a career and, and fans want to support that. Now, a couple of tests we did is we would put everybody on guest list. We're not taking anything at the door. Everybody's on guest list. Capacity crowd. We actually made more money in merch sales because people wanted to support the artist. And, and here's a, an interesting thing that you know, we'd look at the numbers. It's like, if we had say, just I'll use easy numbers, a $10 ticket we sold to 200 people, that's two grand. We had to pay the door person, some staff, pay the bands. There's not much left, really, it's end of day. When people didn't have to pay that $10, they were more willing to pay $20 at the merch table. And we actually made more money at the merch table than trying to get that $10 ticket. Because when you do the $10 ticket, some people might be like, well, I already spent $10. I don't know if I can spend 20 more dollars on a shirt or a CD. So numbers would be lower if we had that ticket price, truthfully. So we actually made more money in having everybody on guest list. And we had a higher percentage of people that would actually buy merch because they wanted to support the artist. Mm -hmm. So that was a good telling point on, oh, they want to support and they're willing to pay actually more money to support the artist. Mm. Then the funny part was the merch is our money. We didn't have to share it with the other bands, where if it's a door deal, we had to share that with other artists. Mm. So that always worked every time. And the artist would always make more money. Hmm. Wow. So, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And, and I think it's something that, that a lot of times artists, like, you know, they don't understand that or they like, they, they don't recognize their own worth or they don't, they don't understand that, that people want to support them. Right. So it's really interesting that you actually did that test and, and we're able to find, find that result. It, it, I know. And it, it's a, it's a hard thing to turn around where you're right. We didn't get into this to sell stuff. We got it to play. Now, you know, I've mentioned sports, right? Well, when I started playing hockey as a kid, oh, play hockey, play guitar. What was the motivation? To play. To, to get the girls. <laughs> but, but to play. It wasn't meant to be strategy or this or that, right? But then if you're in the pro league of NHL, it's a totally different game, right? So this is the, the thing is it, do, it does lead into if you want a career, there has to be economics, you have to make a living. You, you have to, you know, you're, you're trying to do music and not a day job. You, you have to 
get money there somehow to support you. So it's a reality and really fans do want to support. And that's, if you think of it, like I'm looking at tickets for an artist coming through, that's a well-known artist and they're like 500 bucks each, you know, and people are buying it. That's the value that they're at. So if a musician is kind of questioning it, I would say, have you bought a concert ticket yourself? Have you bought a shirt yourself? And what was the motivation for that? And put yourself in the seat of the fan. Awesome. Yeah, that's definitely a good way to look at it. Awesome. Well, hey, Daryl, this has been a lot of fun. I enjoy geeking out on this kind of stuff and uh, some really valuable, like, you know, gold nuggets that you just kind of dropped in, in terms of like the live show and planning overall. I think it's probably like the number one leverage point is actually having like a consistent planning road mapping process. So really appreciate you uh, coming on the, the podcast to, to share some of the lessons that you've learned. And for uh, anyone here right now who would like to connect more, learn more about the festival and everything that you guys are doing, the conference, the online conference, could you share a little bit about where people can go to learn more? Sure. So basically we run four online conferences. You can find out about it at IndieWeek.com as well. Every Tuesday we have a industry discussion. It's free. People tune in from around the world. You can chat, talk, sit share contacts and collaborate and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, IndieWeek.com and as well, they could just look up my name at Daryl Hers on any of the socials and connect with me there. Awesome. Cool. Well, like always, we'll make sure to put all those links and everything in the show notes so you can have easy access to it. And yeah, man, this, this is a lot of fun. And I mean, all that sounds awesome too. And I would love to reciprocate and have conversations as well if, if um, you ever you know want to connect more or do like cross, cross interview kind of thing. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. We should get you on one of our Indie Weeklies. Sweet. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. This has been a lot of fun and I would highly recommend everyone that's watching or listening to this right now, go check it out um, because yeah, it's important. Like you can shortcut, you can save so much time and energy. If you just you know, find people who've done the thing that you want to do and you learn from them rather than making all the mistakes yourself. So highly recommend checking it out and we'll see you guys next time. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guests today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That, that really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.